Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the date of Nehemiah's prophecy as we pick up in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Let's turn to Nehemiah. Nehemiah introduces himself in the first verse of chapter 1 and the date of the writing of his prophecy, the 20th year of Artaxerxes, which was the stepson of Queen Esther. So the book of Esther, if you were writing in a chronological order, would fit somewhere between Ezra and Nehemiah. The Artaxerxes here is actually the stepson of Esther, son of Artaxerxes, of uh, the husband of Esther. And so in the 20th year would be in the 20th year of the reign of this particular Artaxerxes. Esther would fit before Ezra and Nehemiah, actually. So you're in the 20th year of the reign of Artaxerxes. They're in the palace of Susa or Shushan. And his brother, Hanani, and we learn from chapter 7 that he is actually a brother to Nehemiah, had been to Jerusalem. And when he returned from Jerusalem, Nehemiah was questioning him concerning the state and the condition of the holy city. Now, Nehemiah was born in captivity. In fact, it is now almost 90 years after the first of the captives have returned to Israel. In 536, Cyrus gave the commandment to return to Israel uh, and rebuild the temple. And this is about 445 B.C., so it's about 90 years later, 91 years later. And so it is 160 years since the beginning of the Babylonian captivity. So Nehemiah has never seen Jerusalem. He has never seen the temple. And yet, within his heart, he identifies with Jerusalem and with the temple. A psalm of captivity is Psalm 137. The psalm begins that those that were captive in Babylon hung their harps on the willow tree and they sat down and cried by the great river. And in that psalm, there is that cry, if I forget the old Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning and let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. It is interesting how that God has stamped Jerusalem into the hearts of every Jew, even those that have never seen it. Somehow there is stamped into their heart a love for Jerusalem. And it's just a part of them. They really can't help it. 
It is just a part, something that God has embedded in their heart, a great love and desire for Jerusalem. Of course, they are commanded in the scripture to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And in their Passover celebrations, no matter where they are in the world, as they observe the Passover, they make the statement, this year, here, next year, Jerusalem. And it seems to be the desire and the dream of every Jew to go to Jerusalem. I received a letter the other day from a very good friend of ours, David Aziel. Many of you know David, who have been on tours with us to Israel. And he was planning to come to California, but he didn't make it because they were able to buy a piece of property in Jerusalem to build themselves a house. And he started writing about the thrill that they were experiencing being able to own a piece of property in Jerusalem. And he went on, this holy, beautiful city that God has chosen. And he really started waxing eloquent in his letter to us all about Jerusalem. It's just something in their heart. They can't help it. It's there. It's something that God has planted within them. And there is something about the city. There's, a, there's an aura. There's a charm. There's a magic to it that the first time you see it, you just sort of weep without being able to control yourself. There's just something about it. So this is Jerusalem, and, and there's a feel, there's something there that is, is of God. God said he would never take his eyes from Jerusalem. And so Nehemiah, a true patriot, having never seen Jerusalem, still his heart is there, his desires are there. And so he questioned his brother all about the state of Jerusalem, the state of the, the city and the people and all. And, and he received really a very discouraging report from Hanani. The remnant of the people are left, are discouraged. Their enemies are harassing them. The gates of the city have been burned. The walls are lying in rubble. There's great affliction and reproach upon the people. And so it came to pass when Nehemiah heard these things that he wept and he mourned for certain days and he fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So this brought him great sorrow of heart and being a true patriot, hearing of the saddened condition of Jerusalem, he wept, mourned over it, and then fasted for certain days while he prayed. Now, Nehemiah was a man of prayer, and he is always offering up prayers unto God. And through the book, it is one of the important aspects of your study of the book of Nehemiah is to make note of the prayer life of Nehemiah. Not always necessarily long prayers, sometimes just prayers under his breath in a moment of time. Just Lord guide me or Lord strengthen me or Lord help me at this point, but always throwing up these little prayers to the Lord. Now his prayer is given to us here in chapter one. 
And I said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God that keeps his covenants of mercy for those that love him and those that keep his commandments. Now, in his prayer, he is acknowledging the faithfulness of God. God, you keep your promises. You keep your covenants to your people. And he acknowledges that the destruction of Jerusalem and the captivity of the people was a part of God's righteous keeping of his word. Acknowledging the fact that God had warned them that if they would forsake the Lord, that they would be forsaken of the Lord. They, they had the warnings. And Nehemiah in his prayer unto God recognizes and acknowledges God's faithfulness. Lord, you told us through Moses that if we would turn from thee, that we would be driven from the land and all. And, and he acknowledges the faithfulness of God to his word. But then God had also promised that if the people would turn to him, that he would restore them to the land. And so he is reminding God of the promises that God had made unto the people. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you transgress, I will scatter you abroad. But if you turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you those that were cast out unto the uttermost parts of the earth, yet I will bring thee back again. And so the reminding God of his promises and of his word, and then asking God to bless the people and to show his great hand of power towards them. So he went in after several days to the king bearing the cup of Artaxerxes for Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer. And so we are now moving ahead. You remember the story began in uh, the month of December, and uh, now we've moved ahead to April, and he is taking the cup into the king, and he is still troubled this much later over the condition of Israel. And the king asked him concerning his sadness. You've never been sad in my presence before. What's wrong with you? And so Nehemiah opened up his heart. Actually, the king had asked him a question and, and the king discerned. He said, it's obviously a sorrow of heart. What's wrong? And so... Uh, Nehemiah answered, let the king live forever. And he told the king of the plight of his countrymen, those that had gone back, and of the news that he had received, and the heaviness of his heart because of the condition of Jerusalem, that beloved city. And so he said, I prayed unto the God of heaven, and I said unto the king. So he's talking to the king, and, and then while he's talking, he throws up this prayer to God. And I prayed unto the God of heaven, and I said unto the king, I like to 
have permission to go back for a period of time to Jerusalem myself to see what I might be able to do to help the people there. And so the king says, well, how long are you going to be gone? And so he gave him a specified time to return. And so the king gave unto him letters of authority. And he was made the Tirthashah, which is the governor, appointed that by the king to go back to Jerusalem and to be governor over that area. It turned out to be a period of 12 years that he had come back. And so the king gave to him the commandment to go back and to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem. The authority, the commandment. Now this is one of the most important dates in history. The date that the king gave the commandment to Nehemiah to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem. Because we are told in Daniel, the ninth chapter, that there are 77s determined upon the nation Israel. And from the time of the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem unto the coming of the Messiah, the Prince, would be seven sevens and 62 sevens, or 483 years. So here on the 14th of March, 445 B.C., the commandment was given to Nehemiah to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem. One of the most important dates in the history of the world because from this date it can be ascertained the date of the coming of the Messiah. It would be 483 years. Here is the commandment given for the restoration of Jerusalem, the rebuilding of the city. So, just as was prophesied in the word of God, 483 years later, Babylonian years of 360 day years, Jesus came in his triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem on April 6, 32 A.D., now Daniel said, but the Messiah will be cut off and receive nothing for himself. And the people will be dispersed. And even as the prophecy of Daniel was so accurate, Jesus came the very day, so he was also cut off. He was crucified without receiving the kingdom. And the Jews ended up in the dispersion, the dysphoria. So... This is a very important date in history. The king granted me, he said, according to the good hand of the Lord upon me. And so he came with some of the captains and the soldiers of the Persian army. And as he came, there were a couple of fellows, Tobiah and Sambalat, who 
were very upset over his coming. One was a Moabite and the other was a Ammonite. The Horonite is actually from the Horon in Moab. And they were immediately antagonistic to Nehemiah because he sought the welfare of the Jews. In other words, they hated anybody who was seeking to help the Jews. Now, it is interesting and tragic that there are people today who hate the Jews and they really don't know why. And they hate anybody who loves the Jews or anybody who seeks to help the Jews. In Salt Lake City, we had quite a confrontation with some Palestinians because of the film Future Survival that was shown Sunday night. And uh, they came and they were all filled with anger and hostility because we dared to say that God's word was being fulfilled in the return of the Jews to Israel. That God said he would bring them back into the land and this just absolutely angered them. And, and there was a, well, there was just a lot of shouting and accusations and all. And, and it was quite a scene as these Palestinians were so upset that a, a film would be shown that would be pro-Israel or at least give the Israeli position from a biblical standpoint. But there are many people who have this kind of antagonism towards the Jewish people and Tobiah and Sambalat were too. Because he sought the welfare of the Jews, they were very upset with his coming. And so he said, Nehemiah came to Jerusalem and he just visited with them for three days, not letting anybody know what was the purpose of his trip. And then after three days at night, after everybody had settled down without letting anybody know, he took some of the men that had come from Persia with him and he was riding on his animal as they were walking around the city walls as he was observing the condition of the walls, the gates. And they finally got to a place where the rubble was so thick that they just couldn't go any further. And so they came on back into the city and didn't let anybody know of, of their little midnight journey or junket around the city. And then Nehemiah called the leaders together and he unfolded to them his plan for the rebuilding of the city. And it involved actually all of the people working together, each family group taking a certain section of the wall and working on it. And so the priests were to start there at the sheep gate. And then next to them, 
the families that would be working on down to the various gates. And there are 10 gates that are listed. And then later on, the gate of Ephraim is listed and then another gate is listed. So probably 12 gates in all. And uh, the various families that would be working on this gate on the, on, and on the wall. And in chapter three, you have the names of all of the families and the section of the walls where they would be working. And uh, because the names really are insignificant to us, uh, we're not going to wade through chapter three, but go on to chapter four. Now it came to pass when these antagonists, Sambalat and Tobiah, learned that they had started building the wall. They were very angry. And they began to mock the Jews. And they gathered together the army of the Samaritans, who of course were already antagonistic towards the Jews. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Nehemiah on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Nehemiah 1-4 through when visiting thewordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today. P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord be with you and give you a beautiful week. May He watch over you and protect and shield you from the evil that is so prevalent in this world in which we live. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and just that beautiful, sweet communion of the Holy Spirit rest and abide upon your heart and your life all week long as you live with him and for him. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. God is looking for someone that he can use to accomplish his purposes on this earth. The apostles were more than willing to be used by the Lord. So what was it that gave them the certain spiritual characteristics necessary to be used by God and to be a powerful, godly influence to change the world? 
Well, in a book entitled The Man God Uses, Pastor Chuck Smith brings the scriptures to life as he examines the book of Acts. He reveals the secret to the apostles' boldness, the five essential components of prayer, and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. So if you've ever wanted to accomplish more for the kingdom of God and to be an instrument that he can use, then I encourage you to pick up a copy of Pastor Chuck's book, The Man God Uses. To order a copy of this book in print or download a digital copy, please visit thewordfortoday.org or call the word for today at 800-272-9673.